If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. As today's guest states right on her homepage, you are probably in the nonprofit sector to make an impact. But without solid accounting, that impact is just a pipe dream. Nonprofit professionals often wear many hats, and sometimes that includes the accountant hat, even when you have no accounting training, even when you've never even been a bookkeeper or understand what a debit or a credit it is. So let me tell you that that can be a huge mistake to put on that hat if you don't really know what you're doing as an accountant or a bookkeeper. So here to discuss some common accounting mistakes and how to avoid them is Jermaine Guillaume. She is the founder of Visionary Accounting Group, a virtual accounting firm that offers accounting solutions to startups and nonprofits. She has over 10 years of accounting experience, which encompasses experience as an audit manager and my favorite, an anti-money laundering specialist. Part of why that's my favorite is you never think about accountants and true crime, but let me tell you, many of the best modern-day crimes have been unraveled by accountants and forensic accountants. So when it comes to financial mistakes and how to avoid them, we are talking about a pro. Now, you may also remember that we had Jermaine on the podcast a few weeks or so ago, where we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and things that both our sector and nonprofits can do to support and promote people of color within the sector, as well as things we can do to better serve communities of color and organizations that serve them. So please join me in welcoming Jermaine to the podcast. Hey, Jermaine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dolph. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back. Oh my gosh, I am so thrilled that we got you back on. I really wanted us to have that last conversation about DEI first, but whenever, whenever I have the opportunity for us to have a skilled accountant on who really understands what nonprofits should be doing, I always want to make sure that we have that conversation too. Thank you. Thank you. Especially the note about the true crime. I grew up really, really into CSI and 
My master's is in forensic accounting, so you can probably tell I'm I'm totally into it. <laughs> We've had a couple of accountants on the program, and one of them is a forensic accountant, and she wrote this amazing book. It's Tiffany Couch. It's called The Thief in Your Company. Oh my gosh. Part of what I love about this book is it's almost like a true crime book in that each chapter, she tells the story of essentially fraud, embezzlement, waste that she uncovered. And then after telling you the story and, you know, the culprit is unmasked and you find out who it is, she then spends the last half page or page of the chapter saying, this type of fraud is known as dot, dot, dot. The internal controls that you could have that would help you detect this fraud, here are those internal controls. So it literally was just like crime vignette after crime vignette. So I had to write the name down because that sounds like something I'd be interested in reading. Well, Jermaine, I had not originally actually planned to start off the conversation with this, but um, do you have any true crime or forensic stories that involve a nonprofit? I do, actually. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, we're going to be talking about just some financial mistakes that nonprofits can avoid. And one of the mistakes that I actually wanted to talk about was not implementing or enforcing internal controls. So with that being said, I'll briefly tell you a story. Um, when I got brought in as an interim controller, just because the CFO had just like abruptly left and then the controller was kind of like on her way out right behind him. I came in and while working to clean up the accounting team in the apartment, we actually uncovered that the prior CFO had some of the staff working on his personal business but like fronting for the organization. And then as we dug a little bit deeper, I should mention that this organization was more so into like community development. So they owned like apartment buildings and things like that, did like affordable housing. We found that there were all of these family members living in the housing, not paying rent or having their rent significantly discounted. And so to be honest, that was kind of like my very first experience, really like you read and you hear about the fraud, but it was like, wow, this really happens. And so it was kind of like a page turner, one after the other. And so that was my experience with it. You know, one of the things that I find is that nonprofits aren't that great with implementing internal controls. And then if they do implement internal controls, they don't force them. And I think that it's like twofold. On one hand, if they're severely short staffed, you tend to have the same person doing a lot of the work. And so there's no segregation of duties. And so it leaves you open to a little bit of fraud. And then on the other hand, sometimes I find that the organization is just so busy that they kind of are just like, you know, we'll figure it out later. And so that whole enforcing piece kind of gets missed just because they're, for them, it's just not as important or a priority, but it really should be, honestly. And I do want to say for officers of the organization, which normally include like your executive director, if and, and your CFO, if there are internal controls that are not being followed, gosh, your personal liability goes through the roof. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is that with knowing that, I find that a lot of these organizations don't have internal controls. That's one of the first areas that I tend to look at because I'm a former auditor, right? So that is what we did, you know, 
for years, that's where, you know, most of my work experience was. And so I'm really big on making sure that the proper controls are in place and that we're not only on the front end saying that we have these controls, but that you're also following them as well. So can we talk about some of your favorite internal controls? And I know some listeners may be rolling their eyes favorite, but I have some favorite and I'm sure you do too. Hmm, favorites. I know this is probably like nerd talk, right? (laughs) Here's one. So simple, but so crazy that people don't follow it. Something as simple as the person that signs the check, right? If you are on the accounting team, let's just say for an example, and you are also the person that is signing the check, you shouldn't also have the ability to then deposit said check, right? Or if you are, I mean, I've seen it where usually like the treasurer can be a signer as well as the executive director, but just making sure that the one person doesn't have control of an entire process so that they can commit the fraud and conceal it, right? And so, you know, making sure that the person that also has that ability to access the bank account is not also the person that then is writing the banking account and routing number on certain documents and then having those those checks or that money that should be deposited into the nonprofit rerouted to their checking account, right? Because I have seen that as well. And I don't really do a lot of accounting consulting because I'm not an accountant, but I once stepped into or I once worked with an organization and there was a staff member who had signed checks to themselves in the thousands of dollars. And, you know, that's a huge red flag. And again, I don't do a lot of accounting consulting, but I I pretty much was like, your treasurer needs to pull the backup on every one of those checks and review it and make sure that it's accurate. And then that person needs to know they can never sign a check to themselves, assuming there wasn't fraud. If there's fraud, you're going to have to do something else. But then that person needs to know. That person shouldn't have access to checks either, right? That's a key control right there, right? So the person who has the key to the lockbox where the checks may be kept shouldn't absolutely be not the same person that's the person that can sign the check, right? Because then they can just go get a check, write a check to themselves. And, you know, you're wondering where those couple of thousands or hundreds of dollars have gone. And I'll share with you, that was a case where the treasurer did review it. There was no indication that there was any type of fraud or embezzlement or anything like that. But you know, that was only by virtue of the fact that everybody was honest, you know, like because that internal control did not exist, somebody could have actually taken thousands of dollars from the organization. And we know that these organizations, I mean, they can't afford to lose, right? So can I share with you um, my, perhaps one of my favorite internal controls? Yes. I believe in my core that the executive director and the board treasurer should review the bank statement every month and should initial that they've reviewed it. And in doing that, they should review all of the debits. If there are paper checks, you usually get copies of those like on on several pages with your bank statement. You review those and, and that allows you to make sure, for example, if you have a rule for two signatures on checks over a certain amount, is that rule being followed? It allows you to know whether or not someone's signing checks to themselves. It allows you to see whether or not, because, you know, bank statements list transaction numbers and check numbers, whether or not there's an odd order like, huh, you know, that that number shouldn't be there. Why is it there? As someone who's been an ED a lot, one of the reasons I love for the treasurer to be the person that also signs off is for me, that's the check and balance that it's not just the ED looking at it. Because as much as I hate to admit it, it could be an executive director that's doing it just as much as it could be someone in your finance office or just someone who happened to get copy, you know, happened to get your bank account number and created fake checks. No, I, I totally am, am there with you. And that's why checks and balances is, I mean, it's really important, really important. So 
Do you have any other favorite internal controls? I don't know that I'd call them favorites. <laughs> but you know, honestly, when I'm thinking, once I went from audit to internally working at these nonprofits, some of the things that I've seen that don't happen that I really wish would, one is the filing and documentation system and the lack thereof supporting documents and signatures. What I presume happens a lot is, especially if you are a transaction-heavy organization, is that sometimes things are just moving so quickly that you never go back. But one of the things that trips up nonprofits, especially those who are required to be audited, is that the auditors come in and there's usually no supporting evidence to support these transactions that are happening. And so even if it's really not fraud or something that was off that happened, a lot of times you can't confirm it because you just don't have the supporting documents documentation to back that up. And in public accounting, the saying was, if it's not documented, it's not done, right? And so that was drilled into my head. And so, you know, I keep that same energy now being on the other side and working on the accounting side and preparing for audits with saying, you know, like we have to be in tip top shape because you just never know what's going to be asked or required of you. I'll share with you, I've worked with some newer organizations who have smaller budgets, $100,000, $200,000, and they will say to me, well, you know, we don't yet really have an audit done. We just have a financial compilation done by an independent accountant. So we don't need all this documentation yet. And I always say to them, it is far easier to create it now when you're small than to not have it suddenly hit that quarter million dollar federal funding threshold, have a single audit, what we used to call an A133, and come out feeling bruised and battered because you were completely unprepared for that. And it's so funny because my saying is always that if you hate audits, it's usually because you're not prepared, right? That's usually where the whole frustration and anger is. So I have to share with you, that might be the title of this episode. If you hate audits, it's because you weren't prepared. Literally, that's what I'm finding. Because if you have your ducks in a row, the audit goes smoother. So there really is no reason to kind of be stressed or overwhelmed, right? It's usually when there's these potential dings or, you know, not having the right documentation and that, and then you're scared of what the audit report is going to say or what it's going to look like that you're like, oh my God, I have to do better. So can we talk about some of the ways that organizations can streamline collecting that documentation? I do think there are a lot of small organizations, especially if they have a lot of smaller transactions, 50, 100, 200, $500 transactions. You know, if you're a $200,000 organization, but your average transaction is 250 bucks, you got a lot of transactions every year. So I do think sometimes organizations just start to drown in those transactions, which is why they don't have the documentation they should. So what are some, some easier ways for organizations to make sure they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's? Well, for one, and this probably needs to be a larger conversation, but I think this falls back to the process. And so many organizations are still managing things manually and are not leveraging technology and have no policy or procedure, right? Because a larger organization, I mean, a transaction that let's just say is $250 or $500, clearly that's probably something that you don't need extensive documentation for because it's not material versus maybe someone that is operating a much smaller budget where it is. And so I think the first step is what is the policy or procedure around what kind of documentation you should be keeping, where it should be held. But then the second thing is we have to do a better job with leveraging technology. I mean, there are apps upon apps and integrations with accounting softwares that can now be used to do a lot of that work for you. 
And so I think it's super important to get clear on what are the needs of your organization and then is there a solution out there that can make the process more efficient? Absolutely. And I think also as part of that, especially if you're doing it electronically, is to have like a file naming system so that all files are named in a consistent manner. And so when you need a specific receipt, you can easily find it with a search function and not, oh my gosh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Mm -hmm. Easy to manage, easy to find. And even to what you just said, nowadays, the softwares allow you to attach the receipt right to the transaction. So, you know, just looking at the functionalities, because one of the key things that I'm finding, too, is that organizations, if they're using accounting software, they're not maximizing it. Right. So these softwares can do all of these different things that they're not even using that would make the process much easier for them. Absolutely. And I know a lot of nonprofits are using QuickBooks. And as you said, like you can actually attach all of your documentation into QuickBooks. You probably want it in Dropbox or on your server as well. You know, you probably don't want to rely just on QuickBooks in case QuickBooks is probably going to sue me now, but you know, in case they suddenly go out of business and all your data is lost. Let me be clear, QuickBooks, I, or sorry, let me be clear into it. I don't think that's going to happen. Do not think that's going to happen, but just as an example. But you know, like QuickBooks has a lot of functionality now where you can also actually upload receipts and it will read your receipt. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. So I think it's super important because honestly, there's been no organization that I've worked with that when I started we're maximizing their accounting software. And so you start pointing them to different things that they can do within a software. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. And so I think it's super important that, you you know, see what will make your life easier. Like what will be less stressful for you? Because a lot of times these softwares are built in a way to make your process more efficient. And if you're well-versed in that, then you can one, you know, make sure that you have your ducks in a row, but then two, that you're less stressed and overwhelmed when it comes to managing the process. And I should also say, I feel like nonprofits should absolutely be looking for integrations that work with their accounting software is probably QuickBooks. You may not, for whatever reason, want to be on QuickBooks payroll. Maybe you want to be with ADP or Paylocity, but I promise you there's an integration where instead of a human being having to sit down and manually journal entry, which I'm using some jargon here, manually sit down and enter each employee's compensation and how it gets split among grants, you know, you can actually have your payroll processing system just literally automatically transfer all that over to QuickBooks so that whoever is managing your QuickBooks logs in, clicks a button that says accept after reviewing it, and it's done. But I'm shocked at how many organizations are not yet doing that, that they'll be using ADP or Paylocity or someone else, and yet they're still manually entering it. I'm also shocked at how many organizations, from my perspective, are doing twice as much work as they should. And, and so, for example, they may have 1099 contractors that, that, you know, that they're now manually cutting checks for or doing ACH payments in QuickBooks, and then they've got to produce the 1099s and all of that. But, you know, most payroll processing systems for an additional fee will also process 1099 contractors. And then the same way they send W-2s, they send contractors 1099s. And suddenly it's a click of a button. It's not three days of someone's time and bookkeeping. Yes. And I think that also goes to what also makes the organization as a whole efficient, right? Because I'll be honest, like some of the organizations that I've seen that have these huge accounting teams, when you start to drill down into the process, you start to realize that sometimes a team of that size isn't even needed because so much of what they do can be in some cases automated or streamlined. And 
that comes at a cost and time savings to the organization. And so I think that's why you can't forget about the infrastructure. You can't forget about the operations piece because there are costs and time savings there as well. And so if you take some time to really think about how you're running your organization and the role that people are playing, you know, you'll find that you probably can save some money there. Are there any other ways or any other systems that you really recommend people use to streamline and save some time and money? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, QuickBooks is my fave for now. I'm also very familiar with BlackBot Financial Edge, but that is a really robust system. So I always say, you know, you want to look at the size of your organization to see and make sure that the software is applicable to you. I'm just speaking from the QuickBooks standpoint. I mean, you have donor CRMs that integrate with them. So like donor perfect, neon CRM. So most of my clients are using Gusto for payroll. Same thing, has an integration. Um, Real quick, not an ad for Gusto. They don't pay me anything. My consulting practice, we've got a W-2 employee. We've got some 1099 contractors. I use Gusto. Oh my gosh, I love Gusto. If you're a small shop, like honestly, from my perspective, like QuickBooks, payroll, ADP, Paylocity are all expensive for a small shop. Gusto is affordable and easy to use. And like all the rest of them, the employee sets themselves up. So you set up their account, you send them the link, and they set themselves up. And with that being said, though, because there are so many cloud-based solutions that are now available to you, a lot of them are meant to help you be more efficient. So just using Gusto as an example, like there is so much that you don't have to do anymore. I mean, think about how many organizations went after the PPP loan. Every time I log into Gusto, there's updates in regards to PPP. There's reports on how you can see how much would be forgiven. And so a lot of this work where you might be creating some full-blown Excel sheet to try to calculate and determine, that's a cost and a time savings that you, if you're using the right software. And so, you know, I definitely think that it's really, really important to, you know, you don't want to be changing your process every time you turn around, but you always want to keep a pulse on what is happening out there in the industry because there are some solutions or tech solutions rather that really will make your process um, much smoother. And I also just have to add, in addition to your own internal cost savings, you'll also end up saving money on your audit. Because while your auditor might do this project based, someone at the auditing firm is breaking that down by hours. You know, so if your auditor can do this in less time, next year, you might pay less for your audit. And I mean, that's also right tied to internal controls, because if they identify that you have all of these things broken, you're talking about your audit report now being affected, you're talking about the audit taking more time now. So you have to think about these things as you are building out, you know, your process. And so when I think about the things or the mistakes rather that nonprofits are making, sometimes this mistake isn't financial, but that mistake then has a financial consequence. Absolutely. The other big area where I think nonprofits may not be leveraging well is leveraging the expertise of their auditor. There are so many organizations, I don't know about you, but I see like the auditor ends and everyone like wipes the sweat off their brow and they're like, oh, thank goodness, we're not going to talk to or see this person again for, you know, another 11 months. But I think what they fail to understand is, for example, if they get a new grant and it's going to require a change in accounting, they could call their auditor up and say, hey, we're thinking about doing it this way. What do you think? Totally agree. And that, but that also leads me to another mistake that I believe that's made, which is like recording data incorrectly, right? And so nonprofit accounting is complex, right? You have to adhere to certain rules and regulations. You know, you're thinking about your 990 here. You're thinking about your audit. So there are, you know, a few different things that are at, when you start getting into the details of the types of funding that you're getting, grants, federal funding, state agents, 
see, you know, individual donations and contributions there, you have to make sure that you are accounting for those things correctly. And I find that there tends to be, this is not a knock on volunteers, but I noticed that a lot of times in certain roles, it's like, oh, we have a volunteer bookkeeper, you know, and it's like, wow, this person can record the transactions. When you start getting into the deeper level of accounting that has to happen, a lot of times that expertise is not there. And I do believe that this is also what hinders a lot of organizations from getting grants or, or additional funding because they usually cannot present their financial information in a way that really tells the story of the organization. And I mean, that's like a priority or a key thing for me when it comes to these organizations. Could not agree more. Funders definitely have to understand how the funds they're investing create impact for the communities they care about. Yeah. And so I think like we want to make sure that when you are hiring or when you're looking at what it is that you need that you understand the complexity of your organization so that you're putting the right person in the right seat. Mm -hmm. So, Jermaine, I want to make sure that we've got time for the off-the-map question. And I think, I think I've think i got a good one for you. Um, obviously, this is your second time on the podcast. So I, I, I probably, I may have used the best one, but I'm going to try to top the one that I, that I used last time. <laughs> so, like you, I'm an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur has a unique journey that brings them to the point that they say, I'm going to take all of this risk and start my own business. So talk to us about your unique journey into entrepreneurship. Honestly, my unique journey came on the, the tales of motherhood, really. I'm one of those people that I came into the working force ready to climb the corporate ladder. Like I had a goal and I was, you know, I, I really had a set career trajectory. But once I had my daughter, and I'll say this, before I had my daughter, I did start a blog. So that was kind of of like my taste into like this whole new online world and like entrepreneurship. And so I started to slowly see what possibilities were out there. But then once I did have her and I only got three months of time off, I was like, okay, this is not enough time. You know, I want to be able to spend more time with my daughter. I want to be home more. I was looking for more time freedom. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to take some more time off. So I chose to leave. And, you know, I really went through my mind, like thinking about what is it that I could, could be doing? And honestly, in my opinion, it was divine intervention of family, friend, new a nonprofit that was losing their controller in a couple of weeks and was looking for someone to fill in in the interim and wanted to know if I was available. And I was like, hmm, why not? And so I took that on and I never looked back. Like I said, I had been doing small projects, accounting and tax on the side. But once I took on that interim controller role, from then on, I said, this is the work that I'm going to be doing. That was the look inside of nonprofits that I never had before. And when I saw the impact that they were having in the community and the work that they were doing, but also the lack of infrastructure that they had, I was like, and I saw the difference that I was making. That is what I think really pulled at my heartstrings that I was like, if they're having this problem, I'm sure others are too. And I want to help solve this problem. And I never, I never looked, looked back, you know, and I will say I've never felt fulfilled, so to speak, when I was in corporate, you know, I did a good job, you know, had coworkers that I love, but I never had that feeling of truly like loving 
what I was doing until I had that job as interim control at a nonprofit and realized how the work that I was doing directly impacted them being able to get additional funding, them being able to have a satisfactory audit, you know? And so I was like, okay, this is, this is the work that I'm going to continue to do. Jeremy, that that's an inspiring journey to entrepreneurship. I got to ask, because I know you do virtual accounting support and virtual accounting. Have you done other interims since then, interim CFO since then? So, yes. So essentially, my services are the controller level. Um, I will say this. I think CFO is becoming a buzzword. And so, so many people start thinking so high level. But if the CFO doesn't have the proper numbers, the proper reports, they can't be of service to the organization. And that's why I chose to focus on the controller level work because I realized when I was in that interim controller role, how much was missing and not being done. And so since then I've worked with maybe about maybe 10 to 12 organizations in the virtual outsource capacity offering controller services. So now I'm gonna put us back on the map for a few minutes because This has made me realize that I think a lot of us in the nonprofit sector confuse CFO and controller. So Jermaine, set us straight. What's the difference? So when you think of controller, think of what I like to call the chief accounting officer. (laughs) So it's the person that is truly responsible for the numbers. It is the person that usually runs the accounting team. If you have one, it is the person that is usually responsible for liaising with your auditors, for making sure that you implement the right controls. And they tend to report to the CFO. The CFO is more of a finance function, more of a planning and analysis. And now I will say that as time goes on and like technology becomes more sophisticated, You see a lot of smudging of the roles, but the CFO is a very forward-looking position. And in a lot of ways, the CFO is the right hand to the CEO or the executive director. So they are doing that forward-looking, that planning and analysis and that trajectory of where, of helping you figure out where you want to go. But they do so because of the support that they are getting from this controller and the accounting team. And so I think it's super important that you understand the different roles because you need to know what it is that your organization needs. And I find sometimes people just jump immediately to CFO, but the accounting function is like in complete disarray or chaos. And so the CFO won't be able to do much if they don't have the right accurate numbers floating up to then make those proper assumptions and planning and analysis that they then put their head together with the executive director. So I would imagine that for a lot of organizations with budgets of under 2 million or maybe under 3 million, I would imagine maybe those two roles are merged a little bit. Yes. And so that's kind of where I live. So I'm usually working with organizations that are managing a budget from anywhere from maybe like 500,000 to about like 3 million. And so they tend to maybe not need a high-level CFO. And so in my capacity, I do do a lot of forward-looking for them. So there is a lot of getting that accounting work, that foundational work, but then saying, what can we do to be proactive, right? Because that's the other thing. I think that when people think accounting, sometimes they think of how things were done in the past and being very reactive. But one thing I pride myself on 
and our services is being very solution oriented, being proactive and making sure that we are taking that data and then seeing what is it that we can do to get you to X goal? What is it that your organization is trying to do? And how is it that these numbers are going to help us figure out how we can get there? And I kind of wanted to clarify that a little bit because I can imagine, you know, a lot of our listeners are at smaller nonprofits, even under a million dollars. So I can imagine some listeners, maybe they have just five or six full-time employees and they're like palming their forehead going, oh my gosh, we only have six employees. And now Dolphin Jermaine want two of those to be CFO and controller. So, Yeah. So to clarify that, and it's funny you said that, and this is why we're integrity for me at least comes into play. And so when I am working with a potential client or at least speaking with a potential client, you know, I'm very honest. If we talk about where your budget is, I will tell you, you know, I don't think that you are at a place where you need a controller or where you need a CFO. Maybe what you need is just a basic bookkeeper. You just need to make sure that these are the things that you are managing and handling until you get to exposition. And that's why I say it's really important to understand where is it that your organization is and what do you need at the moment? Right. To make sure that you aren't one overextending yourself or you aren't investing in some robust services that your organization doesn't need at that time. Right. And I will say I love the space that your company lives in because I think there are a lot of organizations that are not yet at the point where they need a full time CFO or a full time controller or even a full time merge of those two. But what they do need is a high level of expertise. And I feel like that's the value your company offers to smaller and medium sized nonprofits. It's funny you said that because that is that was the premise of it when I was in that interim control role. And it was interim because they were big enough that they actually needed someone full time. So um, but I realized I'm like all of these things that we are managing and we're talking about your organization shouldn't miss out or not know these things or have access to these things because you can't afford a full-time person in that seat. And because of technology, I don't need to be there, right? I don't need to sit in your back office taking up space, right? And so we offer these high-level services at a fraction of the cost for hiring a full-time employee, but then you still get the same level of financial data, the same quality, and the same access to the expertise, but you're not paying a full-time salary and benefits. Absolutely. And I'll share. I mean, I've certainly recommended some of my clients that's the direction they go because they get the expertise they need without paying someone full time to provide that expertise. Yep. And I tell my clients, I have no problem letting you go when I realize that you are too big then for my services. You know, you may get to the point where you need someone full time or you need that CFO. When that time comes, I will gladly free you because, you know, I, I want you to grow, you know, if that's where, you know, your, what your heart desires. Exactly right. They, they've graduated. It's time for them to move on. Right. Well, Jermaine, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy that you've been able to share with our listeners some real accounting expertise to help them and their organization. And listeners, if you worry you are at risk of maybe making some accounting mistakes or not doing things the way that would be easiest when it comes time for your audit, then check out Visionary Accounting's website at visionaryag.com. There, you can learn more about Jermaine's services and even find more tips on nonprofit financial management. You can also schedule a free phone call with Jermaine if you're interested in working with her. We will have the link to schedule your call on our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Jermaine, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me again, Dolph. Listeners, if you got distracted looking at your own financials to see 
If you maybe could strengthen some internal controls or reporting, then head over to our website at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. There you can get the URL for Jermaine's company, Visionary Accounting, as well as the link to schedule a free phone call with Jermaine. And lastly, dear listeners, if you found today's episode useful, then please do me a favor and share it with one other person who you think would benefit from it. It could be a friend, a family member, a colleague, anyone that you're like, wow, I really need to send this episode with Jermaine over to somebody. That is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.